You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Angela Little, president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Family Support Alliance. That's a statewide child abuse prevention organization whose vision is for all children to grow and thrive free from abuse and neglect. Now, I cannot think of a more important calling. So Angela, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Laura. Nice to see you. Now, tell us a little bit about the PA Family Support Alliance. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? The 30-second elevator pitch is that Pennsylvania Family Support Alliance helps moms and dads be the very best parents they can be. And for those who truly struggle and cannot provide a safe environment for their children, we engage professionals and community members who may volunteer, how to get involved when they think a child in their midst is not safe, how to properly recognize and report child abuse. Because we know every child needs a champion. Yes, yes, absolutely. And whether or not you are the parent, every child really requires many champions uh, along the way. It does take a village. And I think it's terrific that you're helping the families, not just the children, but the families to provide those opportunities and those safe environments. What's your favorite part of your job and why? I'm sure it gets heavy at times. So what's the favorite part? Yeah, I wish I had a nickel for every time someone said, oh, your job must be so depressing. In fact, it's not. I love to build. And so I've spent my career building, whether that's, you know, strong public policy and playing some role in that in state government, whether that's advocating for, you know, federal funds being spent on child welfare whether that's really building programs that help parents or programs that train and teach and educate those people how to take care of kids. And then, of course, I love the part where I get to see employees who go on for higher education, who, you know, through the lifespan of their family, raise their own kids. And it's an exciting opportunity when you're a leader to build. Yes. Yes, could not agree more. And I think everybody else out there would feel the same, the excitement of building. Now, what's something exciting or that's otherwise important that's happening in your industry now or you see it coming on the horizon? And how do you need to be careful in the content or the delivery of your messaging when you're talking to key stakeholders about it? Well, we have an opportunity to do some building, but we have to be very cautious in how we do. You know, we know that everything in life comes down to relationships, as you and I've talked about many times now. We have an opportunity to help members of the Amish community in their school system really come in compliance with Pennsylvania law so that people who are part of the schools have training just like every other teacher in Pennsylvania and that they follow what our state child protective services law says about reporting child abuse. And they've not always done that. The Amish live very separate and apart. They don't embrace government on a county or a state level. But we know that child abuse does happen in those communities. And so we have an opportunity 
to try to make some advancements in that area. And we're very much looking forward to that. I would imagine that gets complicated on a lot of levels, just because, as you mentioned, the Amish live very separate, very kind of secluded lifestyles as a community, more farming, much more rural kinds of communities. And so their traditions are different. Their values are different. The way that they relate to government and those kinds of laws can be different, some of which are, I believe, codified as far as just understood by the state government that nope, they're separate and apart. But abuse, neglect, those kinds of things happen everywhere, not just the Amish. That's sort of the whole point is that people are people, right? So I would imagine that the notion of diplomacy and intercultural communication skills have to be at the forefront of the ability to even be allowed to engage with some of the leaders, or as they, I believe they often refer to them as the elders of the community, to be able to influence their choices and their compliance. Yeah, one of the strategies that we will be using is actually talking to some former members of the Amish mm. community to better understand what some of their very sacred, you know, we will not bend in these areas kind of are, and to help us in choosing our semantics very wisely, because we don't want to be offensive. Their religion and their way of life is very important to them. And we have no motives other than to make sure kids are safe and cared for and not at risk. So that's some of what we're going to do in preparation. And we're going to be very mindful of things like, imagine if you took a report of suspected child abuse and you had to drive to a community in Lancaster and go to a house and check on the welfare and well-being of a child. You may have to really know more about landmarks than addresses, right? Because they're private lanes, they're very different than if you were going inner city or suburbia in many parts of Pennsylvania. So there's a lot we have to learn, and we're going to walk very gently with this and hope that we really make some progress because we don't want anything to be adversarial. Of course, of course. I've, I've always said that people are more willing to walk your walk if you can talk their talk, if you can show them that you understand where they're coming from. Well, I'm not sure that we will completely understand, but what we're going to make sure we convey is that we have a desire to understand. Yes. And so we just want to do this in a way that really satisfies the requirements of state law and also respects their way of life. Sure. The clarity in conveying that intent, I think, is mission critical as well. I kind of smiled at the notion of fully understanding. You never completely understand anyone, but that doesn't even have to be intercultural. I think about how often I know people who have siblings, genetic siblings, fully genetic siblings who are so different that you think I will never understand them. So it's really not about this culture, that culture, this group, that group. It's people are people and you'll never 100% understand another person, but we have to try. We have to try and we hope to reach some common ground yes. to get things across the finish line in a way that everyone can live with that. How's that? Perfect. Yes. Now, communication-wise, tell me something you're really good at and something that you wish you were better at. I'm really excellent at pivoting. Hmm. I've learned that skill set in the past many years when a member of the media asked me a question that is quite simply a question that shouldn't be asked because it's either not accurate or you just couldn't even begin to answer it in the time frame you have. So I've learned to pivot and give it a response that really would lead them to the question that I wish they had asked. Like what? Oh, gosh. For example, recently, I was, during the pandemic, on a talk show. 
And we were talking about how the pandemic has impacted families. This is a TV talk show or a radio talk show? Radio, radio. talk show. I was okay. really grateful, by the way, it was radio. <laughs> it's very grateful. <laughs> no facial expressions visible. No facial expressions. And I was in my living room, so I was very grateful for that. But I was conveying the point that it's understandable in many ways that more children have had inadequate supervision during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, for many parents, they lost childcare, schools weren't in session, they're trying to do their job while they're trying to parent full time. And my goodness, for most of us, just parenting alone keeps us more than overwhelmed most of the time. Mm -hmm. So the interviewer said to me, it sounds to me like you're giving parents a free pass and you're not holding them accountable or responsible for their behavior. Mm. So that's an oucher, you know? Our organization looks at the strengths of parents, even sometimes when their behavior is not what any of us would wish for. We know that kids are happiest when they're with their parents. So we try everything we can to have parents you know, make progress and be good parents. And I simply responded and said, well, you know, I have never seen a situation ever in my life where placing blame on someone improved the situation or the outcome. Mm. And so we choose not to do that. But there are times like that when it's really hard because you don't want to not answer, you don't want to offend the interviewer, but you just know that a comment or a question like that really didn't have a place in that context. Yes. And reporters are very good at asking or hosts that are asking questions and you're going, where did that come from? I've certainly been in that position myself. That they ask a question. I'm going, you have three minutes with me on this segment and you ask that question. Like, why would you want my opinion on that completely irrelevant topic? I sit there and try to figure out, okay, how do I do exactly what you just said, and that's pivot. And it is quite the tap dancing skill that we have to learn from time to time. What's something you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at taking a really serious subject that is very important, and it has a lot of substance to it and a lot of technicality, and making that seem like it's something very light and airy so that it would be palatable for everyone to want to listen to the message. Mm. That's a really hard thing to do. And I've not reached the skill set yet that I'd like with that. So that's something that is my own kind of professional goal to keep working on. And I would imagine that would be particularly difficult given that the the focus or, or one of the major categories issues that the whole organization is focusing on is child abuse and neglect, which you can't sugarcoat it. You don't want to sugarcoat it, but you have to still be able to make it use the word palatable, I believe, somehow that people can take it in, they can ingest it without just putting their fingers over there in their ears and saying, I, I can't deal with this right now. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to think about it. That doesn't do any good. So that must be a very fine line to walk. Yeah. What we have settled on more recently are images of happy children and happy families and messages that say, you can help make a child's family happy. You can help bring about a happier future. Mm. Things like that. You know, it's interesting, Laura, you see a lot of things on television with animals who have been mistreated or abandoned. Yes. And 
the messaging is very, very effective with that. People will donate money. They will get involved in advocacy. We actually had a law not too long ago passed in Pennsylvania called Libra's Law Mm. that was, you know, animal abuse and abandonment related. But if you put pictures and images of bruised, battered, unhappy children, that shuts all of us down. I think sometimes it hits a little too close to home. And it's just hard for us to imagine that that exists in our society. Yes. We have lots of work to do on that, but we keep working on it. So you have to verbally thread that needle. Mm -hmm. Now, who's someone that you admire as a communication role model who is really good at some of those things and why? Well, you know, I've always been a fan of Soledad O'Brien, who is the moderator of Matter of Fact on Sunday morning, NBC. Okay. I like that she always appears put together. She doesn't ever appear, you know, flustered in any way. Her choice of words always seems spot on with semantics, very succinct. So I always admire that. I'm not sure I'll ever reach that in any way, but, but that's someone who catches and captures my attention. Then on the kind of reverse side of that, I see like Rachel Maddow on MSNBC at night, you know, when you're winding down your day, she is very rapid fire. You know, when you get to be older, kind of you process information a little more slowly. Okay. So I think, gosh, I'd like to be able to be that rapid fire Mm. with facts or getting the point across. She definitely captures your attention. And I think whomever does her research or if that, in fact, she plays a role in that appears to be pretty thorough. So it's always backed up with. And I think this because, and that's something that I find to be important. I think it's important also to realize that regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, whether you are a Fox devotee, an MSNBC devotee, a BBC devotee, you should be able to go and just decontextualize from, or disassociate, I should say, from your opinion with regard to mm-hmm. what they're asserting and just look to see who's effective. And this actually is something that I was doing quite a bit last year during the presidential election, looking at the, during the primaries for the Democratic candidacy, as well as in the the final Biden-Trump debates, et cetera, just to say, and the vice president candidates, who performed well, who messaged well, who was credible in the moment, uh, whether or not I agreed with what they were claiming was not the point. But can you look at people objectively and say, they're really good at that? What is it they're doing? And how can I learn to be that effective, keeping all the other opinion stuff out of it? So I would encourage everybody, regardless of your affiliation, to take a look and see what you can learn from those role models. Now, what about style shifting? Because I think we all have to do that from time to time. How have you had to learn to shift your style or your approach, your speech style, that is, in order to connect with different groups effectively? I have always had a tendency to explain entirely too much, Mm. responding to a question from anyone. Okay. And so in working with the media, with communications, I've learned to do small sound bites. Okay. I've actually learned to use that strategy too with some family members who are a little bit too nosy. You know, smaller sound bites are better. And then I think another thing I've had to really shift is in leadership, you rarely ever utter the word I. Mm. It's always we or us, particularly in celebrating a success or giving acknowledgement or explaining what you do. And To convey the message, you have to connect with the person or the audience. And so you have to put that on the personal. And so that does require the I statement. 
you know, I did, I do. Yeah. I believe for me, this works. And that's a big shift when you're in a leadership role. Deciding when to talk in the first person, when to talk in the second person, deciding when to talk in the individual or collective, making those choices, we, we take them for granted. Was it ever hard to adapt? Very much so. Why? Very much. While still being yourself, that is. Well, because it makes you vulnerable. How did you feel vulnerable? Well, part of sharing an experience and making it personal to the first person is then you kind of put yourself out there. And again, when you're the leader, people expect you to have all the answers. You not only have to have all the answers, you have to have the answers quickly and you have to have them succinctly and it has to be engaging. There's a lot of pressure in that. And so at some point to just be human and say, yep, when I was a parent or as a grandparent, I, you know, yep. you wonder, there's a part of you that always wonders in the back of your mind, I wonder how this is being received right now. I see smiles and head nods, so I'm assuming good, but you don't always know. Right, right. Now, this brings us to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. And this is an opportunity, Angela, for you to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our audience today? Okay. Well, my challenge has a part A and a part B. Okay. So... My part A is make sure in the next 24 hours, you put some thought into your 30 second elevator speech. Mm. Absolutely. Like in 30 seconds, what does your organization or your company do? What are you all about? And if you can't do that, then you have to really spend some time, a lot of time until you can do that. Because if you can't do that, members of your team won't be able to do that. And everybody's an ambassador for the organization or the company. Mm. The part B in this is what's your why? Why do you do it? Why are you a part of it? Why do you believe in it? And if you can't answer that, you also have a problem because that's oftentimes along with your elevator speech at some point in a communication exchange with an audience, you have to let your why come across because that's what helps them feel connected to you. Yes. Yes. There's a great TED talk by Simon Sinek. If you've seen his TEDx, I think it was TEDx Puget Sound. I believe the title of the TED talk was how great leaders inspire action in others or something like that. And it's, it's a, an excerpt from his book, which was start with why, but it's all focusing and they do a great job of using companies like Apple who start with their messaging, focusing about what brings people together, that shared sense of purpose and values. And then, you know, we achieve that through selling iPhones and selling all these kinds of things. But starting with the why, getting clear, and so many people aren't, right? They just talk about, I do task X, task Y, and task Z, as opposed to my company and or I provide this value to society or I provide this value to my organization. And that's what I love about doing it. I think people really do forget that. They just basically read a, a job description and say, you know, here are the papers that I file in the course of the day, which is far from inspiring, much less memorable. Yeah, it falls in line with when you have dinner with some folks for the first time. Everyone talks about what they do. Mm -hmm. And they don't really talk about who they are. So by the end of the night, you wonder. Yes. Because we don't tend to talk about those things. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, everybody. So then make sure that you're ready for your dinner conversation, as well as your networking, and as well as 
being a guest on this podcast, because there's a very good chance I will ask you for your 30 second elevator pitch when you come on. So make sure you're ready for all of us. Now, let's talk a little bit about mistakes. What's a communications related mistake that you made? Well, I made a big one and I did it on television. Oh, ouch. I know I would have prayed to have been on the radio. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I blushed. But before I did an evening news segment during the month of April, Child Abuse Prevention Month, one of the television anchors took me aside and asked me about a situation in his family. And he asked for advice related to he and his wife were parents of a younger child and they were older parents. And, you know, they had the typical kind of parenting struggles and he asked for advice on this. And so then when I went into the interview on camera, live, evening news, he questioned me in a way that it was very similar to the personal question he had asked me. And I responded and said, someone recently just asked me off the record. So I misspoke in the phrase off the record. And my answer was very close to his personal situation in his family. It was just a very awkward moment. Mm. I couldn't understand even why that came out of my mouth with the off the record, because I certainly know what off the record means. And as it was coming out my mouth, I could just feel my brain going, no, 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 pull yes. it in. Right. Just wouldn't. And, you know, I kind of lost my momentum then for the rest of the interview. And I just... I did okay, but it wasn't my best job ever. Sure. And I will probably never forget that. And every time I run into him, I think of that time. And it is hard to regroup from moments like that, because even if he maintains uh, you know, a poker face through the whole time, you feel like you've lost the connection with him. And there's that challenge to, I'm not sure what I would have done that I give you credit for recovering and making it through the rest of that. But I think we can all relate to those moments where, you have something in your brain and then you hear what comes out of your mouth and you're going, that sounded different in my head. And as it's coming out, your the rest of your brain is going, no, please pull it back in. Do not let that. And you just, you can't, you can't pull it back. Yeah, you can't. No, that's painful. That's painful. So were you able to touch base with him afterward and kind of get some closure there? No, that's the rapid fire of television, you know, off the set and on to the next segment. And I honestly think it was a larger deal for me than for him. And that's the other piece for us to all remember, right? When we're doing communication work, we live, eat and breathe this. So yes, sometimes in our minds, we have a spotlight on every little misstep we make. And we focus on that far more than the people who may be receiving the message. Still is important not to have, you know, misspoken times or missteps, but but sometimes we beat ourselves up a little bit too much for that. I think it's fair to say that we are more often than not our own worst enemies and worst critics. Absolutely. Now, what about having hard conversations with people? What's an example of a time when you had to share bad news or initiate a difficult conversation? How'd you handle it and how did it go? Well, I think that during the pandemic, most folks in any type of management or leadership role have had to deliver a few, you know, not very pleasant messages or have those difficult kind of candid conversations. We as an organization downsized four positions. And that was something we needed to do to run our business a little bit leaner, not meaner, but definitely leaner and be a little more efficient with our resources. So we took money and put them into technology advancements and really had to eliminate a few positions. The standard line I use 
in introducing a tough discussion because I definitely don't shrink from them is I usually start by saying, this is a conversation that I don't enjoy having to have. And I'm sorry that we're here at this point and we have to have it. But nonetheless, being honest is something that's very, very important. That's, you know, how we have to do business together. So with that said, and, you know, had to let a few folks go. And I think we did that in the kindest way we could. But when you intro it like that, right, it gives you almost that you're not going to back up as the deliverer of the message. I couldn't backpedal. I had already like opened the can by saying, we're going to have a tough conversation. Right. And they, those discussions ended as positively, you know, as they could, given the circumstance. And I, I'm going to encourage everybody out there who's listening to hit rewind about 30 seconds or, or 45 seconds and get that line again, write it down for yourself that I'm not going to use the word disclaimer, but that kind of preface that setting the tone saying, look, I don't like to have these conversations either. Wish we didn't have to have them. Sorry, we have to have it. But and of course, you said it much better than I just did. But go back and listen to Angela's original phrase and write them down, because sometimes it's really helpful just to when you hear somebody say something and you go, oh, that was really well said. I wish I had thought to say that myself. Write it down because there's no reason that you can't incorporate those framings into your own repertoire and use them. It's not a plagiarism thing. It's not about you have to create your own and be creative on it. No, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. If something is an effective tool, you use it. And I think that's that was a really great example. So thanks for sharing that. Now, what about virtually? For you personally and the your wider team overall, how has your virtual presence improved over the last year and what will help you be even more successful in the future? Well, I think, Laura, it's a more accurate statement to say we developed a virtual presence. Okay. We didn't have one before the pandemic. You know, our business is in-person programs and in-person trainings for professionals who work with children and volunteers who give up their time in child-related activities and organizations. So hundreds and hundreds of trainings happen in nearly every nook and cranny of Pennsylvania each year that our organization does. And so when the governor issued stay-home orders and the schools were closed, life really stopped as we knew it as this nonprofit. And we had to become very, very agile, very adaptive, and we had to do it very quickly. So our goal initially was just to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And our goal was to make sure that we could deliver the messages to the teachers, especially the teachers. Mm -hmm. Every mandated reporter in Pennsylvania is important. There are folks who are required by law to report suspected child abuse. But imagine the teachers who went from seeing these kids in classrooms day in and day out And suddenly the only way they saw them was on their computer screen. Mm. So they had to be taught how to look for different signs, how to look for what's going on behind the children in the home. Yes. Many of them can tell you absolutely horrific stories about what they saw inside the homes of some of their students. And celebrating the positives, too. Many would say hats off to the thousands and thousands of parents in the state who did whatever they could do to make sure their children still had really good educations given the circumstances and and were a part of that. So we had to do a couple of things. 
we had to number one, get our training onto a virtual platform. We had to train all of our trainers how to use it. We had to shift our messaging a little bit to consider what you see on a virtual platform. And then we had to do all of the data collection because never did we realize that our numbers would increase during the pandemic, meaning mm. we had more people take our training than the in-person training. Wow. Folks were home and they had time to get their, you know, continuing education units for their life sure. for their certification. So it And there's changed. no commute now, so they had more options. Exactly, exactly. So it changed our business in so many ways. And what I would say is that, you know, we look at this like progression, right? We got there. Now we're working at being better. And eventually we will be much better than we are today. So our next step will be to look at what equipment do we need to get. Our work with you has been great. Or training folks about their, you know, presentation and the issue of engagement on a virtual platform. And we will be building that into the culture of our organization, which means that as new board members come on, as new staff come on, not only is it adequate now to know the content and be experts on specific areas, but you have to also consider how are you conveying that message virtually. Yes. We want the presentation and the engagement to be every bit as important because here's what we know, right? If you're not really good at what you do, you're just like everybody else. (laughs) And this is too important a subject matter to just be like everybody else. This organization has to set itself apart. And this is one of the ways we're working at doing that. Yes. And you really can't afford to have people going through these trainings on how to recognize and report child abuse or neglect and and have them feel like, well, I logged in, so I'll get my continuing ed credits or whatever it is, but I don't really need to pay attention. I think I'll just check my email and listen with my camera off and be passive. That's good enough, right? That just doesn't fly. It's way too important on something like this. Absolutely. That the engagement part is mission critical. And I like how you put it that if you're not how do you say it exactly that if you're not good at this, that you're just kind of like everybody else? Mm-hmm. I feel like so many people on video, and of course, I've done plenty of trainings on this over the last year and change that rather than changing your name along the bottom of your Zoom window or Teams window, whatever platform you're on, most people would prefer just to have a disclaimer that says, I just want you to know if you met me in person, you'd be impressed. That's not really a good place to be. It's not because where you are, how you show up on video is how people know you. And if your job in that moment is the only opportunity you're going to have to get people to understand, to engage, to learn, to remember, to apply, et cetera, you can't afford to be mediocre. It just doesn't, doesn't work anymore. You have to be just as good, if not better, frankly, virtually than you would have been in person. So thank you for that little public service announcement in there. No charge. <laughs> now, can you talk about, when we think about succession planning and career advancement, et cetera, what is disqualified or at least delayed an otherwise technically qualified internal candidate from being promoted or otherwise giving additional leadership opportunities? Their style of communication okay. being not only not appropriate, but not adequate as well. Hmm. And so I'll give you an example of that. Okay. I had at one point someone who worked in helping us diversify our funding. Okay. 
And we had a rather large retail corporation give us a donation. And we were there on your average, you know, Tuesday night to receive this or do some filming with the local television NBC affiliate. So they had camera crew there. Our communications company was there. I was there. This person in fund development was there. So with the anchor there and the cameras there, this person started to criticize our communications company rep that we didn't get more coverage from the really good television station. <laughs> it was not a good experience. Oh, no. That's... And uh, our communications person, let's just say she was really top notch at what she did. And she was very, very Irish. And And how did that that manifest per se? That manifest in some fireworks that night verbally. And there was just no way to really help this person improve her communication. She didn't have a filter. She didn't have some of the finesse. So you can have the skill set of how to shake the money out of all the right trees, you know, in philanthropy. But if you don't know how to really have those kind of instinctual ways to connect with people, you know, friend money eventually runs out yeah. and you need to develop new relationships and you need to do that based on how you interact with someone and how you present messages and how professional you portray yourself and the organization. Yes. So, you know, again, the pandemic gave lots of companies and organizations, lots of employers an opportunity to write their HR ship. Mm. And all I can say is that is a vacant position in our organization right now. Okay. Well, that's something to look into for everybody. With no regrets on my part. Sure. Sure. You can't afford to burn the bridges, but if people are going to burn your bridges for you, then it's time to uh, take away their firepower. Absolutely. Finally, Angela, let's talk to the future generations. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates, whether or not they're going to college, regardless of major or career goals, what's the one thing they have to do to be successful? Yeah, this is my favorite question that you ask. I actually think it's the most important. I've had this conversation with my younger self many times. So life will present you with lots of options. And when you look at your options, so often, especially when we're younger, we're college age or just beginning a career, we gravitate towards what is the most known or the most comfortable for us. And I would say, in fact, what you need to do is reach towards the option or the choice that makes you a little uncomfortable and stretches you the most, because that's where you're going to learn the most. You take a couple of risks and that's where you're going to have the largest amount of opportunities. So you may end up then in a career where you can say, I've loved almost every day of it because I've been able to build, build, build. Yes. Yes. Okay. So stretch out of the comfort zone. Don't take the easy, comfortable choice. And, you know, I I would argue potentially that it's not just about the younger generation, those who are still in the student realm or student mode or even new on the career path, that there's an awful lot of us who, as we get older, we get a little more set in the ways. We feel like we've taken all the risks we need to take, or we've we've challenged. Now we just want things to be comfortable and easy. And I think there's a lot of room to continue to expand and, and challenge and inspire ourselves with new ideas and new experiences too. Well, you're completely correct. Hence why I'm 
doing a podcast with you for the very first time. (laughs) This is your first podcast? First podcast. Oh, yay. I am honored that we have officially um, gotten that opportunity to, to start with you. And we hope that this has been as great an experience for you as it has been for us. And we hope that we'll see you on a lot more podcast interviews as well. Most certainly. All right, everybody. So with that, Angela, how can people learn more about you and the PA Family Support Alliance? Just go back to our website at pafsa.org and you'll find information on parenting, training programs, and data statistics, all those things that'll make your eyes cross, but some (laughs) things that are really important about how to care for kids, pafsa.org. And note to self that everybody else out there that this is not only for people who reside in Pennsylvania, right? The information that's there, the services available may be available for Pennsylvania residents only, but the information about good, healthy parenting, what to look for, et cetera, is really relevant to all of us. Taking care of kids is universal. Yes. Takes a village. Well, thank you again so much, Angela, for joining us today. Thank you, everybody else, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.